Hello again everyone. Welcome once more to our Holy Spirit series and uh, some of you have journeyed with us the whole way and some of us joined us as we looked at the fruit of the Spirit and today we're going to embark on a new mini-series uh, in the big series on the Spirit to look at the gifts of the Spirit and today I want us to consider um, in an introductory session and we'll have a couple of these perhaps before we get into each of the gifts but we want to look at are these gifts for today and there are some in the church who believe and teach and I used to be one of them that these gifts kind of died out with the apostles death the demise of the early church and really we're not to look for them at all today in our modern age when in fact there's no scripture that says the gifts of the spirit are are, are not for today in fact on the contrary um, scripture testifies the opposite. Let me give you a few of these scriptures um, to, to cause you to think about this. In Peter's great Pentecostal sermon in Acts chapter 2 and verse 39, he said these words to the listeners, For the promise is to you, that is the promise of the Holy Spirit heard from Jesus, the promise of the Father, that which they were seeing poured out on them on the day of Pentecost, it is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And all who are afar off doesn't just have a geographical connotation there, but it implies those who will yet believe. And that's what in fact is said at the end of the verse, as many as the Lord our God will call. So there wasn't an indication at all that this would just be for first century believers or those in an apostolic age. Um, confined to the early church but rather this would be something that Jesus promised and the Father promised would be perpetual to all who, who would be called by God's grace in the future in the church. First Thessalonians 5 verse 19 through 22 again outline the fact that we're to expect the use of these things in the church and in fact he gives an injunction to the Thessalonians do not quench the spirit do not put out the spirit's fire that seems pretty clear do not despise prophecies. Yet so many in the church today do despise prophetic words. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So he's saying don't be gullible and accept everything is coming from God. And yet you must not put out the Spirit's fire. And certainly do not despise any of the gifts of the Spirit. But prophecies used here. What a challenge to some who clearly have a dislike and a disdain for these gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 5, Paul also says there, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. Now that is staggering when you consider the context of the Corinthian chaos. Um, they were completely um, out of hand in their use of spiritual gifts. And yet Paul doesn't come in and quench the spirit put out the spirits far at all he actually says i wish you all spoke with tongues um now he does give them some instructions about how to calm down a little bit but it's important to note that he never once said you've got to knock this on the head cut this out it's only useful anyway for a few years before all the apostles die no um he wants them all speaking in tongues and then first corinthians fourteen thirty nine and 40 Paul again says, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak 
with tongues, let all things be done decently and in order. So he actually sets them up to be passionate about the gifts of the Spirit um, and desire earnestly to prophesy. And the last word Paul spoke in this excursus on spiritual gifts and particularly tongues was don't forbid it. And yet this is, I suppose, a policy in, in many churches today, the forbidding of speaking in tongues. So you can see that Scripture um, does not forbid the gifts of the Spirit today at all. Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, right sandwiched in between the two passages on the gifts, 12 and 14, there's that wonderful passage of Scripture on love. And some people have used this as a proof text to say that the gifts eventually will peter out. Let me read it to you. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. There you have it. Prophecy is going to fail one day. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. So revelatory knowledge is going to disappear and tongues will cease and prophetic words will fail. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And some people would say that that which is perfect is the finished canon of Scripture, so we don't need the gifts of the Spirit any longer. And there's two points I would make in response to that. First of all, Paul is saying that these gifts will not cease until perfect knowledge comes and we are known as we know one day. So we'll have perfect knowledge in Jesus Christ. Um, and I thank God for the finished canon of Scripture and it is the final authority on Revelation. But it, of course, is the book that tells us about these great spiritual abilities. Um, and actually, it's the book that tells us we ought to desire these things. But John Wesley, in response to these verses in 1 Corinthians 13, said, He does not say either that these or any other miracles shall cease till faith and hope shall also cease till they all be swallowed up in the vision of God and love be all in all. So rather than the canon of scripture being that which is perfect, that which is perfect is the eternal state when Jesus returns and everything is put right and we have a knowledge that we haven't had yet because we see him face to face. But add to that, contextually we get the answer to what that which is perfect is. Um, and whether or not, you know, prophecies will fail, tongues will cease, or knowledge will vanish away in this particular age. Um, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4 to 8. And remember, this is the context of the book where these words in 1 Corinthians 13 were uttered and the teaching on the gifts given. And right at the very introduction of the book, Paul says this, chapter 1, verse 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Now just note that utterance and knowledge is an inference to the the spoken vocal gifts of the Spirit and, and knowledge, of course, is the revelatory gifts of the Spirit. So he's rejoicing that the grace, the charis, and this is charisms, um, supernatural grace, gifts of the Spirit, he's rejoicing that they are enriched in all of these, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's he saying? Well, look at verse 7. He's rejoicing in their giftedness that they come short in no gift. He doesn't want them to be disadvantaged in any way with the spiritual gifts. In fact, he wants them to excel in them. They come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me paraphrase that. He's basically saying, I want you to have all the spiritual gifts and use them all to the full and not be behind in any of them until Jesus comes. As you eagerly await the second coming of Jesus, which is that which is perfect to come. So Paul gives us the key to what he's talking about. That these gifts will no longer be necessary when Jesus comes and sets up the eternal rule and reign. Um, and, and we know all about that to an extent in the book of the Revelation. But that's not now, is it? And so these gifts are to be used for the extension of God's kingdom now. Additionally, contrary to the opinion of some, there has not been a complete suspension of the use of these gifts in church history. And some people will argue, oh, these have only come into play again since um, the Pentecostal movement or charismatic renewal. But actually, that's not the case. These gifts can be seen right throughout church history. There's evidence of use of them among the early church fathers, the medieval era, uh, during the Reformation, and in, in the life of some of the great revivalists. And to just quote a few, there's John Wesley, John, Jonathan Edwards, uh, Whitfield, George Whitfield, Charles Granson Finney, uh, D.L. Moody, C.H. Spurgeon, and we could go on. Let me give you a few examples. David Pawson's been very helpful in these. He, he tells of one occasion when an English woman heard Finney pray in an unknown tongue during family devotions and he assured her that it was a special gift of God given to him uh, and behind it lay an experience which he described as follows, I quote, I received a mighty baptism in the Holy Ghost. I wept aloud with joy and love and I do not know but I should say I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. Both in Dallas and London, D.L. Moody um, on occasion got up to preach but found himself speaking to an amazed congregation in a strange tongue. And it seems that only after spending a little time in prayer and praise in this new language was he able to preach again in English. And it is even said that Spurgeon told his congregation on one occasion that when he got especially happy in the Lord, I quote, I break forth into a kind of gibberish which I do not myself understand. And it appears even from studying the early Brethren movement uh, that they had a yearning as they gathered around the Lord's table in accordance with 1 Corinthians 14. They had a yearning for all the operations of the Holy Spirit in accordance with that passage of Scripture, tongues and prophecy, etc. So you can see that this is a myth that these gifts did not exist through much of the history of the church. There's no doubt that they weren't used uh, as widely as they should have been, but they, they can be found there. And in fact, I, I would say this, wherever revival took place, you will find the supernatural power of God in the gifts and the special use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I suppose the great question is, why did these gifts 
fall out of mainstream use in Christianity? Was it God's will? Some will say that's the case. Or in fact, was it the coldness on the backsliding of the church? Was it not rather the case that the spirit was replaced with man-made tradition and form? And also some would point to the jealousy that often led clergy to criticise gifts that they themselves didn't have. In fact, John Wesley in his diary on Wednesday, August the 15th, 1750 says this, The grand reason why the miraculous gifts were so soon withdrawn was not only that faith and holiness were well nigh lost, but the dry, formal, orthodox men began even to ridicule whatever gifts they had not themselves and to decry them as either madness or imposture. Competitiveness, jealousy in the church then as it is now. Let me give you a caveat, a warning. We're not saying that we ought to embrace everything that is done in the name of the Spirit today. No, not at all. Paul exhorts to test all things. But what we have to say is, if we want to encounter God, we must be honest with Scripture and church history and be open to everything that God would give to us by his Holy Spirit today. You see, we cannot encounter his power whilst at the same time resisting the very source of that power, the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And I want to challenge you today. As we have studied the Holy Spirit thus far and as we have looked at the uh, fruit of the Holy Spirit, which we saw, remember, was the character of God. As we now look at the charismatic power of God, we've looked at the personality of God and the gifts of the Spirit, but we're now looking at the power of God. Uh, sorry, previously the, the fruit of the Spirit. We're now looking at the power of God in the gifts of the Spirit. I want to challenge you. Can you make a confession today? And it is this. I believe everything the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Surely any Christian worth their salt that believes the Scriptures to be the inspired Word of God can say that. I believe everything that the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Can you go a bit farther and say, I want everything that the Bible says the Holy Spirit gives me this day, in this age, I want it all. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how misunderstood I am. Just like the early disciples in Acts chapter 2, people thought they were drunk and mad. They were confused. And all things must be done decently in order, but sometimes God's sense of order is very different than ours. There's the order of the graveyard where all the little plots are in line and all the grave heads are, are, are neat and tidy and aligned to one another. But then there's the order of um, a delivery suite in a, a maternity ward. And it might look chaotic to the eye, but the beautiful order of new birth is taking place and the doctors and the midwives know exactly what to expect and what's happening. The untrained eye might think it's madness. It's chaos. 
but the trained eye and heart knows that this is the most natural thing in all the world for a baby to be born. This sub-series may well challenge you on many levels to the activity of the Holy Spirit today in his church. But I want you to be serious about this. Don't just parrot someone else's views, which is what I've done for years. But actually ask God, Lord, is it true that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today, for your church now? Is it true that actually you want me to operate in those gifts? So join with us next time as we explore further the gifts of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men and women. And We thank you for every gift that you've given to us through your death and resurrection and ascension. Through grace, we can operate in the power of God. And we pray that we will experience that um, even as we study these gifts, that we'll not just be filling our heads, but our heart will be filled with your power and your enablement. And just help those who, like myself, have struggled with these matters and there's been a contention around them. We're so sorry for that and Lord, we repent of that. Forgive us for the part that we have played even in putting down those who don't believe in these things and in my history, I've put down those who did believe in them. Lord, forgive us for that because the last thing that you ever wanted was for the the, the Holy Spirit to become some kind of controversial issue when actually we need him desperately and we need the abilities he gives us. So we humble ourselves before you now and we ask you, Lord, for everything. Lord Jesus, you died and rose again, ascended that we might have. We believe everything the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit and we want to receive everything that the Bible says we should have right now from your hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you and see you again next time.